that's when I, I started working on Mahana Fresh. I wanted to get out of the pizza business, work on something different, you know, a healthy bowl concept. You know, Mahana Fresh is all about two things. It's about choice and it's about healthy options. There are no microwaves, there's no fryers, and there's no freezers. Everything's fresh. That's why we put fresh in the name. And, you know, it's just, it, it's very similar in concept to a Chipotle. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's the Wolf. Today in the show, we have Dave Wood, a franchise veteran who went from a pizza delivery guy at Domino's when he went to the University of North Carolina to owning 20 Domino's pizza locations himself. And now he's founded a healthy, fast, casual franchise called Mahana Fresh. Dave tells us war stories from his Domino's days, including how to earn the famous Domino's Rolex, why he got access to the Domino's corporate private jet, and how he played pickup basketball with Michael Jordan when he was in college. This was an all-around great conversation, and Dave also tells us why he's building Mahana Fresh and is now in the fast, casual, and healthy restaurant space. Hope you enjoy the conversation. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. I think that's a good place to start because uh, you kind of mentioned there, right, that in that announcement tweet that you started your franchise journey as a pizza delivery guy for Domino's. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, could you tell us, like, what, what age were you? Did you have ambitions to own a Domino's at that point or was it just a job to make some money? So it was just a job to make some money. And I was a student at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. It was a fun time to be there. I lived down the hall from the basketball team. Some people with names like Michael Jordan, James Worthy, Sam Perkins, those were my dorm mates. And a friend of mine started working at Domino's, delivering pizzas. And I would talk to him, and, and he would come home with a nice bit of cash and a pizza every night. And I thought, man, that sounds pretty cool. So, you know, at the time, Domino's had about 300 locations. Okay. You know, now it has, I think, 17,000. It had about 300 locations, almost only in college towns. So this was Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So I got a job there. I was 20 years old. I had no ambition to be in the restaurant business, no ambition to own a Domino's pizza store, I still remember coming home one night and the resident manager of the dorm I was in, you know, made some offhand comment. Yeah, Dave's going to own some Domino's one day. And by golly, he was right. You know, it just turned out that he knew the future better than I did. So yeah. I, I took my inspiration from those basketball players I named and I left college early like they did. But oh, really? instead of getting drafted by the NBA, I got drafted by Domino's to manage the local uh, Domino's pizza store in Chapel Hill. No way. So, yeah. 
So that was my start. Well, all right, two questions. One, maybe a bit off topic, but the audience is going to kill me if I don't ask. Did you ever <laughs> play basketball, like even a pickup game with Jordan and some of those other guys? I did. My favorite pickup game of all time, and until two years ago, I played basketball five days a week. I have loved basketball since I was eight years old. Yeah. My favorite pickup game of all time was on the court outside our dorm, and my teammates were three guys that you have definitely heard of. One was Michael Jordan, one was James Worthy, and one was a little football player by the name of Lawrence Taylor. Like the linebacker? For like the linebacker. <laughs> oh boy, holy crap. That's a lot of talent on one court, Dave. Yeah, Damn. so a buddy and I were out there shooting baskets when six of the basketball and football players showed up. And so we just joined up with them and played a game four on four, full court. And so, yeah, thinking back to a pickup game that's memorable, that was one that was. Holy crap. I mean, I'm trying to think, unless, which this is a goal of mine, unless I can get Shaq on this podcast, that is the most notable basketball story and game, you know, experience that uh, any guest will ever have on on this show. Because, wow, that's just impressive, man. And although I I remember it very well, 40 plus years later, at the time, it wasn't that big a deal to me. It was like, you know, obviously, they were very good athletes and very well known in their sports, even in college. But it was not that big a deal to me at the time. Now, yeah, I wish I had pictures and video (laughs) and stuff like that. I mean, the, the other thing that was pretty cool is yeah, you know, play living with the basketball players is after the season was over, the players whose eligibility was over would go on a tour around the state of North Carolina and they would play faculties at high schools for fundraisers. And so they would split the gate. The players would get half the gate and the school would get half the gate. And when they went to my high school, which was about an hour away, they asked, actually let me play with them. And, wow. you know, it was high school I'd been at two years before. And I go out there, I'm playing with them, and I shoot the ball, and the crowd booed because they weren't there to watch me. They yeah. were there to watch the UNC players. So after that, I just passed them all the whole time. <laughs> yeah, you're uh, setting picks for the most part at that point. Absolutely. It's um, <laughs> uh, funny, man. Wow. Well, I mean, that's got to be awesome to kind of have that memory, you know, to look back on. Let's talk about your drafting, right? <laughs> at that point i'm assuming you you were like okay i'm gonna actually go own a domino's and that's why i'm and, you know you don't need a degree for that right maybe you need a degree from domino's if anything from what i've heard about the training program that they require but so i actually was young and dumb i wasn't planning that far ahead you know i loved college but i wasn't very good at going to class okay and that's not a good combination and so when i left college to work at and manage the domino's pizza store At that point, I didn't have really any great ambitions. It was something to do until I figured out what I was doing next. And after I managed for a while, I found out I was pretty good at it. And then the guy I worked for, a guy named Dan Shefty, who was one of the early Domino's franchisees, great guy, he promoted me to be a area manager where I was managing seven stores instead of one. And that was a big deal for him because I was 21 years old Yeah, at the time that I was doing that. 
And Dan was growing his company. He had a partner named Rick Midlick who moved to San Diego and they stayed partners. And Rick was opening stores in San Diego and Dan was opening stores in North Carolina and Atlanta. And I was running all the stores in North Carolina and Atlanta for him at the age of 22. I was running about 20 restaurants at the age of 22. And at that point, I got married, still married 41 years later to the same woman. Amazing. Which is pretty amazing, quite frankly. And at that point, we were focused on not owning our own restaurants, but working for Dan. We loved Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill was a great town. At least it was 40 years ago. I'm sure it's still wonderful. But we were focused. uh, I was running Dan's operation for all of his restaurants. And then at that point, at some point there, we decided that we would go open our own franchise. And we moved to Northern Virginia in early 85 to open our own Domino's franchise. Incredible. That's a hell of a lot of responsibility, 22 Domino's or 20 Domino's at the age of 22. So, of course, you're you're CEO, founder, uh, I know of Mahana Fresh, a new franchise. So we're going to get to that. But I think it's interesting that there's a few other folks who've been on this show who started out as a manager in a brand and then they moved on to owner. Do you think, I guess, from the managerial side, right before you were the owner, and maybe I'm going to assume we're less focused on the total financial picture. You know, like I'm going to ask a very specific question. I guess what percentage of preparedness did being a manager get you to an owner? Like, is it like, hey, you're 80% of the way there and there's just like an extra 20% once you're the owner? Or is it like, nope, it's a totally different ballgame? So I think it's somewhere in between those two. I think it depends on the person. You know, I was probably 50% there. But the advantage that I had over, and I was probably more like 70%. And the reason that I, I would say that is remember, I wasn't just a manager. After being a manager, I ran multiple locations. So I was involved in the bigger picture at that point. So I think that took me from 50% to that 80% number you're talking about. Nice. You know, Domino's had a great program. You know, Tom Monahan, the founder of Domino's, failed miserably when he first franchised Domino's. His first, and I don't remember how many, but his first handful of franchisees all failed. And Tom's opinion was they all failed because they were not experienced pizza store operators. They were people with money that saw how well he was doing and they wanted to franchise. They wanted to open Domino's locations. So that's when Domino's put in a very unique program you know, Tom was an innovator in so many things. He's the guy that invented the corrugated pizza box. You know, the pizza boxes from back in my youth were very thin cardboard. They did very little to keep the pizza warm. You know, Tom invented the corrugated box. He invented a lot of other things, all focused on quality and mainly on speed of operations. Yeah. Because his goal you know, 30 minutes when I started delivering pizzas and started managing, it was 30 minutes or your pizza was free. It wasn't, uh, you know, if you didn't get it in 30 minutes and people at, at colleges would play games, like if they were in high rise dorms, all of a sudden all the elevators would be on the top floor when you got there to deliver the pizza. <laughs> so you had to run up the stairs to do it and they'd be sitting there with stopwatches. Yeah. Where uh, <laughs> just, just hoping you're going to be late. 
you know, we gave away a lot of pizzas and that built, you know, on college campuses that built the brand. That's incredible. Because it was a game. But what Domino's did in the early 80s was they started a sponsorship program. So when I became a franchisee, Dan Shefty, who I'd worked for, he got half of the royalties from my store for the first three years. So that was Tom's way of making it so the franchisee would not mind quite as much losing their top managers and also would try their best to help those managers succeed. Yeah. So that was a brilliant, brilliant play by Tom. You could either take $10,000 or half the royalties for three years. That's a great program. I've never heard of any franchise doing it and uh, could be out there. I'm not sure, but. I've never heard of anyone else doing that. Yeah. At all. You know, that was part of Tom's internal, you know, after his first few franchisees failed, Tom made it a requirement. You had to manage a Domino's pizza store for at least a year before you can become a franchisee. No matter what, that was the rule for domestic. They made different rules when they went international. It makes total sense. I knew the the managerial rule, but uh, the sponsor program, I mean, that's, that's brilliant. So, and the other thing, if you were a manager, you could only be approved for one store as a franchisee. And then after you were a franchisee open for six months, you could ask for more. If you were an area supervisor or above, then you could get up to a 10 store area, which is what they gave me. In Northern Virginia, it was the 10 store area. Correct. Amazing. I mean, I, I think. You got up to, what is it, 20 locations at its peak per year? Yeah, I got up to about 20. And so generally the timeline, you know, uh, how quickly did you get those first 10 open? And then did you go like far out of state to expand or did you just keep kind of growing from that nucleus in Northern Virginia? So the, the great thing about it was I didn't go anywhere outside my area. The area just kept growing. You know, Loudoun County, Virginia was one of my... Uh, counties. And Loudoun County, when I first moved up there in in the mid-80s, I think Loudoun County had about 50,000 people, and now it's probably got six, seven, five hundred thousand. 500,000. Yeah. It was, for years and years, it was the fastest growing county in the country. And, you know, it was the headquarters of AOL had their headquarters there. A lot of tech companies had their headquarters there in Northern Virginia. And it was just a very fast-growing area. So we were able to put more restaurants. As the area grew out, we were able to develop more restaurants in that area. Amazing. You know, what's it like getting to 20 dominoes, right? At that point, right, you're probably not talking to every employee every day or even every week. <laughs> you know, like, is the headcount alone just, is it incredibly stressful or is it actually pretty manageable? Can I say yes to both? <laughs> The great thing about it was the team that I had made my life easy. Yeah. You know, I had a a VP of, at that point, I had a VP of operations and two additional area supervisors. So I had three people above the store level focused on operations and an office of three or four people that were doing the accounting. Um, You know, we always kept the payroll in house because. You know, all of us have those things that just annoy us and payroll companies for some reason just annoy the heck out of me. And so I've always, ever since the first store I opened, I kept the payroll in the house 
And so I had a small accounting team. But, you know, when we got up to 20 locations, we had about a thousand employees. And my wife and I had a uh, understanding that if we were out somewhere because, you know, we, we would go out to restaurants or the mall, Target, I mean, wherever. If someone said hi to me and I didn't introduce her, that meant that I had no idea who I was talking to. So she would introduce herself. And that would help me because I would run into employees all the time. Yeah. And out in different places. And, and, you know, sometimes with that many people that you don't see on a regular basis, it absolutely was hard to keep track of all of them. But, you know, it's just, it's interesting. You know, I sold my Domino's about 10 years ago. And, and the, the big change with that timing is when I was running them, this thing called Uber Eats and DoorDash and Grubhub, they didn't exist. And so we were big part of the only pizza delivery was almost the only delivery food options around. And the biggest thing about that was getting great employees. You know, right now you have way more competition for people. Not everyone wants to deliver food in their car. Yeah. You know, there's only a limited number of people that want to do that. And now, you know, Domino's is competing with all those third-party delivery companies to get those employees. I've had friends of mine that are still in the business tell me they'll get a call from one of their drivers on the road and says, hey, clock me out. I'm going to take this Uber Eats delivery. And that would just drive me crazy trying to manage around that. Holy crap. Yeah. I mean, there's so much with the third-party delivery apps that has really changed the game from, I mean franchise or royalty tracking because those things don't necessarily run through point of sale systems. And then obviously the employee side of it, like what you mentioned, and then from the franchisee owner side, if you want to play that game and get your brand on there. And sometimes, you know, I know certain brands just mandate the franchisees to sell through some of these platforms like DoorDash or whatever, right? Like um, the margins are not nearly as good given that the apps will take 30% or, or whatever the whatever their take is. So yeah. It's way too high. No matter what it is, it's way too high. I completely agree. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of the market forces play out there and see where things stand. But wow. So 10 years ago-ish, you sold the locations. Do you have the uh, fabled Domino's Rolex that, you know, (laughs) is all over social media from time to time? You know, I do have it. I uh, very rarely wear it because now I wear an Apple Watch. The interesting thing about that Rolex is Domino's franchisees are not the ones that Domino's gives it to. Domino's gives it to the store manager. Once again, going back to Mr. Monahan. So the story behind the Rolex is in the very late 70s, there was a franchisee in Kentucky named Joe, I mean, Ohio named Joe Siegel. And Joe was also the manager of his store. And he did over $20,000 in a week. And think about this. This is in the 1970s. And Tom Monahan came to visit and said, you know, what can I do to celebrate this occasion with you? And Joe said, well, you can give me your Rolex. (laughs) And Tom chuckled like you just did. Yeah. Took it off and handed it to Joe. And that started the tradition of every Domino's pizza store, the first time it did $20,000, the manager got a Rolex. And then another one at 25, 
at thirty thousand, at thirty five thousand, at forty thousand, every five thousand dollar increment. Yeah, and they at some point, and I can't remember exactly when they made it. So if you already had a Rolex, they would give you something else, you know, some kind of award. And we had a manager who had a Rolex, and this guy was a big golfer, and his name was Matt. And Matt was winning an award. He said, Dave, do you think that Dave Brandon, who was the CEO at Domino's at the time, do you think he'll take me golfing at Muir Field, where he knew that Dave belonged? Do you think he'll take me golfing there instead of giving me the prize? So uh, Dave Brandon came to uh, Northern Virginia, picked us up in the Domino's private jet, and we flew, Matt and I flew to Muir Field, and uh, played around a golf with Dave. So Domino's takes those awards incredibly seriously. And it's been around ever since, uh, for, over, for like 45 years, ever since Joe Siegel told Don Monahan to give me your Rolex. I mean, Tom sounds like a cool guy because he, I mean, between the royalty program and that Rolex program, you know, to me, it, it shows that he cares or cares. He, he absolutely, he absolutely yeah. cares. And he, yeah. You know, I haven't seen Tom lately. You know, he lives in he lives in Florida now. He built a university called Ava Maria. But all Tom ever wanted to talk about was pizza and how to make the stores better. Yeah. That is all he ever wanted to talk about. And the, I got to tell you, the other guy right now who is so much like him is Peter Cancrow, the owner of Jersey Mike Subs. Yeah. If you visit with Peter... All Peter wants to do is talk about subs and how to make the stores better. It's that kind of focus those two guys have, which has just been, it's just incredible to see up close with each of them. Man, so flown on a private jet with Domino's and played pickup with LT and MJ. It's <laughs> uh, pretty good stories, man. Uh, I got to I got to work on some of mine. That's what happens when you get old. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. I mean, I'd, I'd love a few uh, memories like that. All right. Well, so you sell the Dominoes again. That you know, right now I know Mahana Fresh is the core focus. Was there anything in between, or did you take a long vacation after after the sale? What was kind of like your franchise journey? So, so at that point, I moved. My wife and I moved to Sarasota, where we had a house, a vacation house, out on one of the islands. It's right by St. Armand's Circle. For anyone that's been to Sarasota, it's a beautiful place. And retirement did not last very long. Retirement lasted a couple months. I was too young to retire and I was too bored. I was playing basketball and golf almost every day. I played one of those or the other. And Sarasota is a fun place. It's a lot of fun to hang out and uh, spend time. But I ended up starting a, a small pizza chain called Forenza Pizza. It is very similar in concept to Blaze and Mod Pizza. And Ran that. We sold about 100 franchises, had about 25 open, and sold it to another pizza chain. And at that point, it was it was at a point where I felt like we were a distant way behind both Mod and Blaze. And so I felt like the best possibility for our franchisees was to team them up with another similar size company. So we sold them to another company, and then that's when I, I started working on Mahana Fresh. I wanted to get out of the pizza business, work on something different, you know, a healthy bowl concept. You know, Mahana Fresh is all about two things. It's about choice 
and it's about healthy options. There are no microwaves, there's no fryers, and there's no freezers. Everything's fresh. That's why we put fresh in the name. Yep. And you know, it's just it, it's very similar in, in concept to a Chipotle. You know, if you've been to a Chipotle, it's very similar, that layout. You know, the people that really started that build your own type thing are Subway, but no one likes to compare themselves to Subway. So we all compare ourselves to Chipotle instead. It's a better <laughs> company. Course. Yes. And so it's a very similar concept without the tortilla and with a broader selection instead of just Mexican. Like, our, we're really, in many ways, we're a chicken bowl concept because chicken is the protein in about 70% of our bowls. You know, we have a teriyaki chicken, a barbecue chicken. We have a citrus chicken that's actually an old family recipe. We also occasionally, as a limited time offer, bring in a Nashville chicken. Oh, that's cool. You bring a little heat to it. And yeah, you put it on a bed of either rice or greens, and then you get vegetables. The other proteins we have like steak and shrimp, and you can get tofu. My wife's a pescatarian, so you know she can either get the tofu or shrimp. And then we have vegetables like green beans, broccoli, roasted mushrooms, buffalo cauliflower. So you build your own bowl, and that's where our business is. And yeah, we started that about four years ago and ran right into the teeth of the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, we opened our first three restaurants in February and March of 2020, right when the world changed. Wow. And so that was a tough time to start. We had to do a lot of changes, unfortunately. You know, a couple of those restaurants didn't make it. We had a franchisee that got COVID in April of 2020. Oh. And- Closed for a couple months, reopened in June, and then he called me up and said, five of my team members have COVID. And at that point, he's like, this is a sign. You know, this is just not for me. You know, so it was just just tough. You know, at that point, it was really tough dealing with COVID. So, you know, that was what you would call a uh, big old pothole on the uh, start of the franchise journey with Mahana Fresh. But we regrouped and we've done well. Yeah, you know, we've got seven open right now. We have one opening just uh, about 20 minutes from where I'm sitting in about three weeks. And we should open about another seven in the next nine months. Amazing. So we've got a lot of good stuff going on. And, you know, one of the, one of the most interesting things we have going on, is, as you know, is uh, we announced a couple of weeks ago our deal with a, with a guy named Kyle Kuzma. Yes. And, uh, Kyle is a NBA player for the Washington Wizards, and he's also just a really good guy, and he's got a great business sense, and it's been very fun and rewarding getting to know him over the last couple of months as we've been working together to get him going with this. That's fantastic. I mean, especially just given, I couldn't imagine, like just the hardest time to <laughs> to begin a, a brand from scratch, right? Not even, never mind begin franchising it too. I mean, it's just, you know, I just remember back in March, 2020 and really for, especially those like first three-ish months, you know, at least where I was in the Northeast between New York City and New Jersey. I mean, the level of foot traffic anywhere was just down. And so, you know, the visibility for a brick and mortar brand that's just starting up, I mean, it's like borderline impossible to reach people. It was so crazy. I mean, there's this breakfast place my wife and I 
started getting breakfast from at that point, you know, just out of the blue one day. And we would go get breakfast there on Saturday. We'd bring it back to our house when we wouldn't, we, you know, at that point we weren't, you know, even eating out anywhere. Yeah. And there would be days when they told me I was their only customer. I mean, that's how tough it was. You know, how, how did it, for whatever you're able to share, how did it come about? You know, was that outreach to you or from you to, you know, were you going after celebs as like a way to help with the brand awareness? Or I was not. It was, it's interesting. So Kyle, I think, is doing a, a brilliant thing. So he is focused on building his business portfolio while he's still playing. You know, a lot of players wait until their career is done and then they try to get going. Kyle's attitude is he wants to build it now. And it was just kind of a very fortunate confluence of events. So Kyle is always looking for business opportunities. And I'm friends with an agent that has some NBA ties. And one of his NBA ties is Kyle's agent. This guy, Kyle's agent told my buddy, he said, hey, Kyle's looking for things to invest in. Do you have anything of interest? And my buddy said, I don't know. And he called me up and said, hey, would you be interested in talking to Kyle Kuzma? And I said, you know, I'll talk to anybody, you know, because I just believe it's always worth taking the conversation because you never know where it's going to go. And so they put us together, had a phone conversation. I enjoyed the conversation enough to continue it. And so I actually flew to New York and uh, met with Kyle. He was getting ready to go somewhere. I don't remember where he was going. But we met for, I think, three hours one day in, uh, in June in New York City. And at that point, I think we just really hit it off. Because at this point in my life, I'm not going to do business with anybody I don't like. Yeah. You know, one of the ways I judge it is, would, would I spend a weekend with them? And the answer I came away with from Kyle is, sure, I, I'd love to spend time with them. And working the deal out is one of the easiest deals I've ever done. He and his team, because he's got a couple of advisors uh, that are very active in this. And I worked the deal out in about, I think we worked out the basis of the deal out in 30 minutes. And then, of course, the lawyers got involved and it took another couple of weeks for them to, <laughs> uh, to put what we can say in 30 minutes took them two weeks to put into a document. Of course. But it was pretty simple. And then, you know, Kyle had tried our food kind of under the radar. Nice. But once we signed the deal, he went to one of our restaurants and he, he was there for, I think, about three hours. He tried everything. He took a tour of the back of the restaurant. He spent time with the manager, with the head cook. You know, Kyle worked in McDonald's as a teenager and he knows the restaurant game. Now, he doesn't know it as well as he knows basketball. Yeah. You know, he knows what goes into running a restaurant. He was very complimentary. And quite honestly, he made those guys day, you know, by how he treated them. He was not in any way aloof. He was very, very much talking to them and filling out the business. He brought his girlfriend and uh, one of his agents with him. And you know, they were there, like I said, they were there for about three hours. That's awesome. Just uh, super cool to hear, you know, someone uh, thinking ahead like that. And, cause, you know, it is... Uh... I don't know the exact stats, but I hear it around, you know, from NBA players that retire, NFL players that retire, right? You know, the NFL in particular, I know, has really ramped up programs for kind of educating athletes after they retire so that they don't just 
spend all that money that they've earned from the salaries. So uh, it's nice to see someone, you know, really thinking ahead. And actually, there's a cool story of um, what was his name? Ju- his name was Junior Bridgman. He was basically a six man his whole oh, NBA man, career. Oh man, he's amazing. Yeah. Okay, you've heard. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, for folks absolutely. Who, he he was like yeah. you know like three hundred Wendy's, I think. Yeah, and he got into like he he had somehow was able to own uh, like Coca-Cola manufacturing facilities because they have like a licensing program or something. Uh, anyway, he, he worked its way. Gotcha. Coca-Cola bottlers. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. So uh, he got himself into some incredible deals and really scaled it up. But yeah, like he when he was in the NBA, he would go work at Wendy's and the drive through and learn all the roles. And yep. I mean, just the, the humility and even the work ethic is just, uh, it, it's amazing. So that congrats on Kyle because that's awesome. He's a legend in the in yeah. the franchise business. I mean, he's he's amazing and uh, somebody I've never met. I would love to meet meet him because there's a lot to learn from people like that. I've been yeah, I've been very fortunate to meet some great restaurant people and and be friends or friendly with them and learn from them. You know, people like Tom Monahan, uh, you know, Peter Cancro, yep. the the owner of Jersey Mike's, is a great guy and love to learn from him and. You know, Bob Basham, one of the founders of Outback, you know, lives lives in Tampa and got to know him over the years and just Yeah. You know, those are just guys you can learn so much from. Yeah. I, I'm a Jersey native myself, so um and funnily enough, I think one of uh Peter Cancro's nieces or their family is in the same town. So we we've known of of the family for quite a while and uh, of course big Jersey Mike's fans. So um, oh yeah. yeah, they're great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Kind of wrapping up here, you know, you, you've spent a long career, right, in the restaurant world, and I see it's funny because I I see at times, and probably I maybe contributed to it at times as well, that there seems to be a growing crowd, at least in our Twitter bubble, that is, that is almost anti-restaurant from like a franchisee perspective, you know labor, margins, all these things that come up as like the the go-to like issues. But then, you know, clearly, you, you know, you've outlined your success in your career. It's all been in the restaurant world. And I imagine if you didn't like it or you didn't think there was a future in it, you wouldn't be starting a new restaurant and not, <laughs> let alone franchising it. So, you know, what what would you have to say for someone who's maybe looking at franchises but isn't considering something like Mahana Fresh because they're just writing it off right away and and they're doing that because they just think, oh, like it's going to be too hard and I'm going to need too many people to hire. And yeah, you know, like I, the margins aren't going to be big enough, you know, for me to actually make any real money over time. You know, what would you say to someone like that given everything that you know about running and operating multiple restaurants? You know, restaurants, the one thing about restaurants is they will always innovate. You know, when, when I started managing Domino's Pizza Stores, 95 plus percent of our orders were taken over the phone. We would have people in there that were writing down what people wanted and, you know, onto pieces of paper that is, an, you know, is another format. They were called door slips, Domino's order something record. And, you know, they were specifically designed for ease of operations, another thing that Mr. Monahan did. And then today, and I don't know the exact numbers because I'm, I'm not as close as I was, but today, roughly 90% of the orders for Domino's come in over the internet, either by their app or by a, a laptop. 
And that change is just a, a great example of instead of having, you know, when I was managing a Domino's, I would have five people that all they did was take orders. That was their entire job was taking orders. And now Domino's probably has one person at most who is answering a telephone because the orders are coming in over other systems. Yeah. And so the restaurant business continues to, to innovate. McDonald's is a huge, you know, innovator in the space and, and, you know, lots of restaurants do. So the number of people that we need today in a restaurant is so much fewer than it was 10 years ago. And it's going to continue to innovate. So the one thing I would tell people that are scared of the restaurant business is people have to eat three times a day. Some of us, four times a day. <laughs> and they are looking to cook at home less and less. And you know that's the rise of Uber Eats and DoorDash shows you how much they want that. And, and just restaurants are one business that Amazon cannot push to the side. You know, they're not going to, I mean, they may grow. I mean, they got Whole Foods now. They may grow stuff, but into the space because they can do anything they want, apparently. But restaurants are not something the internet's going to push to the side. Yeah. There's always going to be demand. You know, when people build houses, they spend a lot of time in the kitchens that I don't really understand compared to the amount of cooking that goes on typically these days. So restaurants are a great opportunity. Are they tough? Absolutely, they're tough. Anyone that thinks that they're going to open a restaurant, it's going to be like the bar on Cheers, and people are going to come in, Norm is going to come in and hang out with them. That's not what running a restaurant's like. And so it definitely is tough, but it's also great opportunity because it's something you can get into relatively inexpensively. And if you do a good job, you have great food and great service, you can grow it. So that's what I would say. I love it. I think that's a two key themes there are just picking a lane, right? That doesn't have that overarching threat of big tech, just making, you know, whatever your business is redundant or outdated. And yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, restaurants have a long future, maybe 30 or 40 years, there'll be just robots cooking everything, but uh, who, who knows? Uh, we're, I think who we're knows? a ways away from that. But um, right. yeah, and then even just, I know there's a lot that goes into it. It's not easy, but it is the simple. There is some simplicity in the way of you know make good food, provide good service, and, and the, as like a foundational building block. You know, uh, there's the other businesses. Yeah, like I'm helping run Crockett, a software company for the franchise world. Uh, there's a little, little. There's a lot of bells and whistles and all that uh, in software, whereas oh, so yeah. it's a bit different than than food. But um, that, I think that's it's good advice for folks to just kind of keep the basics. Yeah, and the basics are what's important. You know, Tom Monahan, the, the founder of Domino's, he had three things: PSI, product, service, and image. That was his total focus. You give good product, you have good service, and you have good image. The one thing that I would add to that, and it's not when I say value, which is what I would add, it's not necessarily low cost. It's fair value. Product, service, image, and value, I think, are what it comes down to in the restaurant business. Yeah. I like that. PSI, that's good, man. And PSIV, the Dave Wood version of it. That's amazing, man. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Look, man, it's been an awesome conversation uh, here in 
you know, all the personal stories, but also clearly just a wealth of experience. And uh, I think maybe we'll look back on this conversation uh, as the beginning of, of something pretty big for uh, Mahana Fresh because, you know, I've seen the website, you know, the brand looks amazing. The food looks fantastic. There's one in South Jersey that next time I'm in the area, I'm going to try to go to. But, you know, I think with this, this uh, you know, the deal with Kyle could be a great launch pad for you. So wishing you all the best, man. And, you know, where can folks who are interested in Mahana Fresh or just following you and your journey, where are the best spots online to do so? So we got MahanaFresh.com. Uh, Mahana is uh, actually named after a beach in Hawaii, by the way. It starts with an M as in Mary. It's named after a very nice beach in Hawaii, which is the feel of the restaurant. We don't serve Hawaiian food, but we like that tropical feel. Yeah. So we have MahanaFresh.com. We're on all the socials. Just search Mahana Fresh. And uh, I'm on Twitter. I was anonymous on Twitter as the franchise guy until a couple weeks ago. So my name is a little weird because it's at Franchise Bob because at Franchise Dave was not available. So it is at Franchise Bob on X, I guess, now instead of Twitter. But always happy to talk to people on there. I I get a lot of direct messages with people asking about franchise things. They're open. You you can come to me. I'm not going to try to sell you a franchise unless you want me to. But if you want to talk to me about a different franchise, I'm happy to do that as well. And uh, I love talking to people. People helped me out early on, and I think that's very important. That's awesome. We'll plug Mahana Fresh uh, and your Twitter account, or sorry, X account. And yeah, <laughs> uh, I can definitely vouch for guys. Uh, you know, on Twitter, he's a great resource, providing a ton of value for folks in the franchise community. So it's great to see and. Uh, you know, we got to find whoever that person is with Franchise Dave because uh, I don't know who it is, but I don't think they're living up to it so far. So that's for darn sure. We got to change that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, man. Well, uh, thanks again for coming on and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Always fun. Enjoy your newsletter and your podcast. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen.